This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Luke eleven five through 13. And he said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Good morning. morning. Thank you, Casey. We are moving along in our Holy Spirit series here on campus, and my name is Mark McNelly. I'm the director of outreach here, and I'm excited to share this message with you today on receiving the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk today about how we approach God, how we ask God, how we search for the very Spirit of God in our lives. And so one of the questions I wanted to start off with today is, how many of you run up to God with the kind of attitude, with the kind of heart and mindset that you heard in the scripture just there? How many of us run up to God shamelessly You see, that's the word that I like to use. How many of you use the word impudence in your daily conversational language? Not many of us, right? I don't know. I don't. Uh, The King James uses the word uh, importunity. Importune, right. Importune. So do you know what importune means? It means a plea that's so persistent or demanding that it becomes annoying. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I want you to come at me. Be shameless about it. Be impudent. Be What is it again, Jason? Importune. Importune. Be importune. So, see, now, a lot of the English translations, they they don't know what to do with this word. And it's a Greek word only used one time in the entire New Testament. Many use the word persistence. I don't like that translation. Persistence isn't what Jesus is talking about here. Not just a a relentless kind of come at God and, and, you know, maybe still a little bit timid, but you're going anyway. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a shameless audacity, a coming at God like, man, you told me I could do this, like a child comes to a parent, I need this. God, I need this in my life, and I want it from you. Now, I talk to a lot of people in in getting to do the job that I do, and I can tell you that a lot of us feel like that type of an attitude in approaching God is disrespectful, is maybe a little bit irreverent is something that we should avoid. It's not appropriate in how we relate to God, you know? God is the creator of the universe, and, and he's, he's over and above all things, and he's entirely holy, and we are sinners. And, and yes, there, there, is, there is that truth, but in the paradox of Christianity, we understand that God is very personal, that God wants to have a relationship with us, that God wants to come to us and have us ask him for things shamelessly. Now, we have to understand, too, that this passage is couched in a teaching that Jesus is giving to his disciples on prayer. 
In fact, the beginning of Luke chapter 11, the disciples ask him directly, Lord, teach us to pray. And then you get the, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. After the Lord's Prayer, we get these illustrations. Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, and, and in that there are seven statements in the Lord's Prayer. Three of them are direct requests of God for our basic needs, things that we need in our life. So what do we learn from this? We learn from this that the myth that I bought into when I came into Christianity, I became a believer almost nine years ago, and I don't remember if I heard teaching on this. I, I don't know why I started to form this mindset, but I believed that, well, when you're immature, when you're a young Christian and you know, you're going to go to God, you're going to have to ask for a lot of things. You know, It's the whole talk to God, and then after you grow in your faith, you know, then you start listening to God. But I projected that on the, well, I'll ask for things and uh, you know, I'll be very needy. I'll be a needy child of God. But then whenever I grow up, you start getting into contemplative prayer, meditative prayer. Then you just kind of, oh, just sitting in the presence of God. Mm, God knows what I need. That was the mindset I have. And I think that's the mindset that a lot of us have. Is that, you know, we really don't want to get into this relationship where it's, it's all about us being needy. Well, if that were true, then then that would go against what Jesus just taught us after teaching us how to pray. How do you approach God? How do you go to God for your needs? You do it shamelessly. You do it with an audacious importunity. I'm sorry, I'm just a simple gospel preacher here. I mean, you gotta, you gotta help me out. I don't have the MDiv. When we receive from the Holy Spirit, if you're going to receive from God, what we learn from Jesus today, what we learn from the scriptures is, anytime you're going to receive from God, you're going to have to shamelessly ask him for what you need. We're going to look at two things in this that comes from the text. God gives to the shameless individual. The first thing I want to point out is God gives to the shameless individual. Now, we, uh, on the preaching team, we've been talking a lot about how, how we bring our preaching more and how we get you all in the midst of an American reality that is hyper-individualistic. Everything is about you as a consumer. Everything is about you and your personal needs. You know, you're, uh, you're the center of the universe. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of air we breathe. That's how we're all formed in our American culture. So the scriptures are very communal. The, the spirits are community in their orientation. They're, they're interdependent in relationship with each other. That's how we need to present the gospel and the teachings of Jesus. Our Father. It's plural. But I want to take a break from that, and in this point, I want to point out that God gives to the shameless individual that your individual needs matter to God. They matter to God. And in the book that Richard Foster wrote on prayer, when he wrote a chapter on petitionary prayer, he talks about two hang-ups, two hang-ups or roadblocks in us going to God as individuals. The first one he gives is that God already has enough to worry about. He talks about how, you know, we get this mindset, well, God's created the universe and now he's, now he's running the universe and he's got, you know, a, a lot of kids dying of preventable diseases. He's got a lot of people suffering in grief from a recent loss or a terminal illness diagnosis. You know, um, we've got um, babies being born with birth defects. We've got all of these. We've got betrayal. We've got joblessness. We've got, you know what? God's too busy to care about what I've got going on in my life. 
that this is a mindset that we can get into that, well, we don't want to pester God because he's got more important things to worry about. But yet the scriptures talk about the fact that every hair on your head is counted, that every one of your days are numbered, that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, that he knew you as an individual, created you distinctly different from every other human being that ever lived. He knows you personally. And that he wants to meet your basic needs. You see, basic needs couldn't be any more descriptive of what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He references bread, fish, and eggs. It doesn't get more staple than that, does it? It really doesn't. We're going to Aldi today. I bet we're going to, well, I don't like fish, but we're going to get bread and eggs. It's the, it's the idea that God cares about the tiniest, most minuscule, what you seem to maybe be not important enough for God to pay attention to areas of your life. He cares about those. He cares about those deeply. And that he wants to converse with you about it. He wants to have a relationship about those things. You see, he's not too busy for you. He's not too important up in heaven. Well, he is important, but he's not so important that he doesn't want to meet you where you're at in your life. You see, this week I got a call from somebody um, and something was happening in their life and, and I was at a doctor's appointment. And I was like, hey, I'll call you right back, okay? And, and I got out of the doctor's appointment and I forgot to call him back. Raise your hand if you've ever done that. You forgot to call someone back. Okay. And I called him the next morning, and I just owned it. I was like, dude, my bad. Can we talk? Do you have time? I just forgot to call you back. I got busy. How many of you have taken a list, even taken a list to the grocery store and forgotten to get something on the list when you come home? Yeah, I see a few hands. I've done that. I'm looking at the list. I forgot whatever it was. We do this. In our life, we are constantly overlooking things unintentionally, forgetting things, accidentally. I'm here to tell you that never happens with God about you. Never. He never forgets about your needs. He never overlooks the details in your life. The next thing is that uh, hang-up that Richard Foster gives is that God already knows what I need. How many of you have thought that before? God already knows what you need. Is that true? Yes, it is. It is true. He does know what you need. But he knows that your greatest need, even over these material needs, is a relationship with him. He knows that if your greatest need is a relationship with him, then what better way to facilitate that relationship than to have an ongoing conversational prayer life where you shamelessly approach the throne of God with what you need. What would happen if that started to shape our approach to God? When we look at approaching God, when we look at asking for things from God, and we don't see it only in our prayer closet, or we don't see it only in our devotional time, but we are shamelessly approaching God for discernment in the midst of a conversation we know is coming up. Or we, we shamelessly approach God to help us handle a difficult relationship in the workplace or the classroom. 
Or we shamelessly approach God to help us with some difficult material that we need to study for a test or exam. Can you imagine how continual your asking of God could become if it started to invade every area of your life like that? You see, there's a, a Five Love Languages book written by Gary Chapman. If you're in a relationship, I highly recommend this. And I don't know if I'm stepping out on a theological limb here, but I'm going to propose that, and Dr. Jason Leininger will call me on this if I am stepping out on a theological limb. But I believe if God were to take the Five Love Languages assessment, receiving gifts, words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch, and quality time, Dr. Gary Chapman proposes that each and every one of us give and receive love in those categories, or don't. And we all have a primary love language, and I'm going to propose to you that God's primary love language is quality time. That his desire is to go beyond just knowing about your needs, but to be with you in the meeting of your needs, and going about how you get your needs met every single day. Those are the two hang-ups that we've got to get past. We've got to move beyond. That God does know what we need, but he knows our primary need is a relationship. That God isn't so busy running the universe that he doesn't care about you personally. The next thing is God gives to the shameless beggar. God gives to the shameless beggar. Now, I use that word beggar very intentionally because when we think about a beggar, we think about someone who is completely desperate, completely hopeless to meet their own needs, will go to bed hungry unless somebody steps in and provides food. Here on campus, we have been changing how we do the meeting of material needs, how we do mercy and benevolence ministry here at the church. We've been changing that. We've been restructuring it. We've been seeing that, you know, God wants people's material needs to be met. He doesn't want an ongoing cycle of chronic hopelessness in our material lives. We know that from Jesus' teaching, that he's asking us to pray for those material needs to be met. We've taken our food pantry and we've restructured it from a, a place where people come over and over and over to get food to where people can access our food pantry from a crisis perspective, when they've reached a situation in their life, when they need uh, a step, they need a step gap. They need to get from here to there. Jobs for Life program is another example. Church at the Center, our life change plan. These are all ministries where we are saying material poverty is not the way God created us to live and to thrive. But here we go. The upside-down kingdom is coming at us. Because if that's true, then what does that say about our spiritual needs being met? Are we supposed to become self-sufficient in our spiritual life? Are we supposed to become full, for example, in our hearts and in our souls? No. Jesus is saying, this is an upside-down kingdom. In the spiritual realm of your life, I'm asking you to remain a beggar a desperate, hopeless, on your own terms, and even the terms of those around you, to have your spiritual needs met. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs 
is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you feel that kind of desperation in your soul? When you see someone standing on the roadside with a sign held up, begging for for whatever it is that they're begging for, maybe that could be a cue. Maybe that could become a trigger for you to ask yourself the question, do I have a similar sign up in the confines of my heart? Am I showing God a sign that says, I'm hopeless, I'm desperate, I'm totally and utterly dependent on you to meet my spiritual needs. Because that's where God wants us to get. That's why Jesus gives us the illustration of the parent and the child. The child comes to the father and asks for a fish. He doesn't get a scorpion, Jesus says. He comes and asks for eggs, and he doesn't get a snake. Jesus is saying, look, you guys are selfish, but you know enough about being a good providing parent that you're not going to give your child something that isn't good for them, that you're going to respond to their their shameless approaching of you to have their needs met, and you're going to meet that need. You do that. In fact, um, right now in our home, we have a seven and an almost five-year-old, so we know this very, very, very well. They wake up in the morning, and they're not thinking uh, how much is in the bank account? Am I going to be able to get that second thing of macaroni and cheese at the store? Let's see. Do I have enough clothes for the cold weather that's coming up? Do you think a seven and five-year-old are thinking about that? No. I see your head's nodding. But the answer is no. They instinctively, intuitively, throughout time, over time with their parents, of living in a dependent relationship instinctively know that they are completely dependent on their parent to provide for those type of needs. Jesus says, let the children come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's some debate about what he's talking about there, that the disciples are trying to keep the children away. Jesus says, no, 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 let them come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And what do those kids do? They audaciously, shamelessly, boldly run into Jesus' arms. Because they don't know any better. Like our kids, when they're coming to us, 30 minutes after it's supposed to be bedtime, and they're, they're coming up, well, I'm, uh, you're what? Um, um, hungry. Well, you must not have known that when you left your bed to come out here, but okay. It's just, it's a shamelessness, because they know that we love them. They know that we want to meet their needs. This is the way God is asking for you and for me to come to come with a realization, and we've got to work on getting there as an adult because we are by nature self-sufficient, even spiritually. We, by nature, don't see our own spiritual poverty. We've got to get to the place where we are broke. Not broken. Yes, broken. But also broke. Flat broke with no spiritual resources to bring to the God of the universe. There's also a thing that Jesus reveals at the end of this teaching. Yes, he's, he's telling us, he's using the illustration of meeting material needs, but he's, but he's, bringing, a, he's bringing a zinger at the end. There's, there's a punchline here. He's got in verse 13 a clue that we might be asking, we might be missing out on what we should be asking for the most. 
in my ministry area, I pray a lot. I pray for things. I, I pray for God to bring more leaders into the ministry. I pray for the services on Sunday night and on Sunday morning to grow and for them to get better and, and bigger. And I, I pray for our, our life change plan that's, re, that's discipling these men and women in, in the recovery programs across the city to, to grow. And, and I pray for ministry to thrive. And, but, I, but this text might be revealing something. Am I praying for the Holy Spirit of God to draw all of the people in these ministries to a complete desperation for the Holy Spirit of God, to save those that aren't saved, and to bring into a deeper trust and richer faith those who are saved? Am I doing that? The answer to that is no, I haven't, as much as I need to be doing that. He says, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Well, we put Christmas trees up in our kids' uh, bedrooms in September. You, I don't know if you're a Facebook friend, you probably saw that. You know, hashtag Christmas in September. This is getting crazy. But it made me think. I'm thinking about Christmas early. It made me think, from the understanding culturally that we have of Christmas, maybe we focus on the presents. We want this. We want this present. We make our Christmas list. We list out the actual items that we want. And maybe God is saying, look, fine, I want to give you Santa Claus. If you're worried about the presents on the tree, I want Santa to come down the chimney and stay. Like, you're worried about the gifts. I want to give you the giver. How many of you have seen the movie Elf but with Will Ferrell? He's Buddy. Yeah, almost everybody, okay. In the scene, do you remember whenever he's in New York City, he's got the job at the department store, if we could show it, and they say, Santa is coming tomorrow? And he goes, I know him! I know him! <laughs> Everybody's looking at him like he's crazy. God is saying to you, whenever someone talks about the Holy Spirit, he wants you to be going, I know him! I don't just know the stuff that he gives us because he loves us, but I know him! That's what he's telling us, that if, as selfish, sinful parents, we'll meet the basic needs of our children, God's not only going to do that, he's going to give you himself. He wants to give you his very spirit. So maybe we don't receive the spirit of God. Maybe the amount of new believers coming into the church isn't happening because we just aren't asking for it. Maybe we're not shamelessly audaciously, boldly, importunely? Would that be? Well, I know, but in this, like... I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but maybe that's why. Maybe we aren't shamelessly asking God enough to move beyond religious activity, to move beyond really nice relationships with good Christian people, and get into the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, it wakes believers up to start bearing the fruit of the Spirit that we, met, that we talked about last week. And it takes people who are lost and far from God, like I was nine years ago, and it regenerates their heart and brings them into the kingdom of God. That's what happens when we receive the Holy Spirit, as individuals and in the church. And I'm going to start praying for it. I am. I'm going to start praying for it. And I'm going to invite you to start praying for it in your life and in the life of the church. When I was walking back behind the screen 
Um, recently, I, I saw this, and it almost brought me to tears. I'm not a hugely emotional person, but that's the baptism tank for the outreach center. It's a, it's a storage bin. That broke my heart. As a preacher of the gospel on this campus, that broke my heart, and I started to ask myself, when was the last time we had a baptism in this building? The answer is I, I couldn't remember specifically. It's been a, a few months. Now, we, we had uh, memberships. We have reaffirmations all across campus this morning. That's awesome. We have three reaffirmations and two full immersion baptisms at church at the center tonight. So excited for that. But do you think God's satisfied? I don't think so. I think God wants that baptism tank out here virtually every week in the book of Acts, and the Lord added to their number. This is after the Holy Spirit, which we're talking about in this series, falls on the church, and he added to their numbers daily those that were being saved. I think that's what God wants, and I wonder if the teaching on prayer doesn't expose a reality that we just need to be asking for it. So what keeps us from asking? What keeps us from asking is spiritual affluence, spiritual wealth, having things that keep us busy, that keeps our hearts and minds running on the, on the false reality, on the delusion that we're okay. St. Augustine in, uh, it's like, the, like 1,700 years ago? Yeah, 400, 1,600 years ago. So St. Augustine says this, God gives where he finds empty hands. The reason we don't ask is we've already got our hands full with too many things. And Augustine says that God gives where he finds empty hands. So we have to do more than ask. We have to ask and we have to open our life up to God. Our, our hands have to be open for God to fill them. So what I want to ask you to do as I close out is I want to ask everybody to put your, put your hands on your, um, put your arms on your legs out like this and hold your palms up and, and keep your hands open. And as you do that, I'm going to ask you in this moment of silence, we're going to have a moment of silence, I'm going to ask you to keep your hands open, and I'm going to ask you to, don't close your eyes, I'm going to ask you to look at them and ask yourself the question, does this represent the emptiness that I need to come to in my soul to ask, shamelessly ask for the Holy Spirit of God to enter my heart. Take this moment to do that before we respond in worship.